On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Sam Holman, one of the founders of Black Lab Coffee Co. and of The New Black in Fortitude Valley, Brisbane. We discuss how to truly build your staff members up into the best version of themselves that also helps the business at the same time, advice for hiring staff, and the technological changes in the hospitality industry. Sam, uh, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. To get started, can you tell the audience a bit about yourself and how you got started in the coffee trade? Yeah. Well, I have a, a roastery and two cafes now. Um, the roastery is called The Black Lab. I've got two Blackbirds Cafe up in Spring Hill and the new Black here in Fortitude Valley. My journey into coffee was quite abrupt and not necessarily where my career was heading. I'd been in hospitality and hotels and restaurants for a while and I came home after leaving a job overseas and, and being in a bit of a kind of a career rut, I suppose you'd call it, not really knowing what to do or who I was or what direction to really go in. And quite luckily, I ended up bumping into my business partner, part luck, part, you know, harebrained idea about how we were going to change the coffee scene. And it all seemed like a bit of a big dream when we started, but our forces combined and we ended up partnering in a small little roastery to do mostly home style stuff. We started by roasting for our friends and family on a little Kmart popcorn maker as a hobby. And it had always been a hobby of mine to roast my own coffee at home. I was always into that. Even if we were doing restaurants or day jobs, um, I'd always roast my coffee at home, find the green beans, get them in, put them in my little Kmart popcorn maker. And two and a half, three minutes later, I'd have some roasted beans and I'd seal it, leave it on the shelf for a week to age, and then I'd pop it in my coffee machine at home. So I never had to rely on Campos or Merlo or some of those big guys that just commercially roast. And it kind of evolved from there into its own beast where people were asking me for beans for themselves and beans for Christmas presents for family and friends. And it eventually got to the point where people said, you know, like, you need to do this and like, you should make it commercially viable. And at the time, we were like, no, I'm happy with the day job. I'm working in a little organic store, nine to five, taking my paycheck and I'm living comfortably. And it got to the point where there was a need and a want for it. And Eli and I, Eli, my business partner, said, hey, look, take the leap. And my mother was also in on it. And she, she backed me and said, you know, just jump and take the leap and quit the day job to do this. So... Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, a tumultuous kind of two or three months with the setup of the roastery, but um, we partnered with a place down in Tweed Heads that had a warehouse and a roaster, so we didn't have to fork out too big a cash to actually build a roastery. And we brought our recipes and our IP and our logo and our website to the table, and they lent us the machinery to roast on. And we roasted our recipe for a first batch uh, almost a year and a half ago, and we did a 20-kilo roast. And that was out the door within the week and it kind of just kept growing from there i suppose and the story behind the the two cafes was equally as frantic we were roasting and trying to make money from the roastery because we'd just quit everything and quit all of our day jobs to jump off a cliff literally into the coffee scene and didn't really know what we were doing and found it quite hard to get a foot in the door with a lot of coffee places because one, they'd never heard of us and two, we weren't very good at it because we'd just been, you know, we'd just started. So we thought, you know, stuff it, let's create our own customer base and we put in the first cafe 
and the cafe was designed to be a place where people could come and taste the beans and associate the cafe with the roastery and also be the first client. That was our first, you know, 30 kilo account. So the roastery was roasting for the cafe and the cafe was using the roastery's beans and customers were going, oh, these beans are great. Where do you get them from? And we'd say, oh, we roast them ourselves down near Tweed Heads. And then all of a sudden it grew and grew and grew and to the point where people were asking us for samples and people were inquiring to have our beans in their cafe. And it's kind of just snowballed from there until we could put in our second retail space, which is much more aligned with the coffee brand and it's kind of co-branded and we share a lot of the staff between the roastery and the cafe and we have similar colors and similar logos and it's kind of designed to be that more streamlined connection between the coffee that's hitting the tables and the coffee that we're roasting down the coast. So, Going yeah. back to when you decided to make that leap, I mean, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs would love to move from their day jobs to, to starting their own business. Do you remember what feelings you felt during that stage and what kept you going? Oh, it was a lot of anxiety. Yeah, it was a lot of anxiety and, and it's a do you, don't you, do you, don't you kind of scenario. And, and we even found ourselves getting to the point where it was uncomfortable and pulling back as you naturally do and then pushing again to the point where it's possible and then pulling back. I remember I did a logo and I, I showed it to Eli and Eli said, oh my God, I love the logo. And we got real excited and almost jumped and then we kind of let it fade back. And then I started building the website and then we build the website a little bit and we get more excited and go, oh, could we leave it now? And could we do it? Could we do it? No, let's pull back a little bit. And it took the point where, where we found the first cafe space and if we were going to take it, we had to make the leap. If we were going to sign the lease for the retail space, we had to jump into the commercial space because it just wouldn't have been viable otherwise. And I was sitting there looking at the lease documents. I was about to sign and it just takes someone to believe in you and push you over that edge. And I remember my mother saying, just do it. Like, just write your name on the line and figure it out afterwards. And it, it literally was a moment where I just closed the eyes, put the signature on the paper, and that was kind of the start of the roller coaster, I suppose. Um, all it took was someone going, you can do it. You know you can do it. You don't know how to do it yet, but you'll figure it out pretty quickly. And just that little push, the lease documents were signed and we had the keys the next day in a space that we had to do something with. You know? Time constraints and leases were starting to tick, so we had to get our butts into gear pretty quick and make something of it. So, But I remember standing at that point going, if I write my name, this whole thing is... It's, it can't be pulled back. And then the other half of me went, it's totally easy to just close that document and never get around to signing it or change your mind or go back to that cushy day job on Monday. But yeah, it, it, all it takes is that one person to go, yeah, and give you the push. It's kind of like skydiving where no one would ever do it if they were by themselves out the side of a plane. But when you've got someone strapped to your back and they've done it a hundred times before, then you feel a little bit safer jumping out of that plane. So. Yeah, for us it was a bit of a instantaneous thing and the push or the support that you have to have is, is what kind of pushes over that edge. And there's a bit of a story about your first space, isn't there? Yes. If you'd looked at it at the start, you wouldn't have touched it with a 10-foot pole. But it was in fact my mother's cafe 24 years ago. She had a cafe there. It was originally a, a fax and copy shop, like a, a Fuji Xerox printing shop. And it was at the top of Wickham Terrace 
right where all the doctors and medical suites are and there was always a lot of files and faxes to be processed because being the medical centre, there was a lot of records that had to be kept. And she came in 25 years ago, this would have been 1993-ish, and she turned it from a, a, a fax shop into a coffee shop and named it Amadeus after Mozart. And it was a beautiful Viennese cafe with terracotta tiles and cello music and all that kind of stuff playing in the background. And we wouldn't have taken that space if she hadn't known what we were in for. And she said, look, it does work. I've done it before. And, and we looked at it and went, this space looks bloody horrible. It's now got purple walls and there was a green pillar in the middle. And it was, yeah, I looked at it and I went, I would never go anywhere near a space like this. And she said, no, believe me, because I've done it. It works and it's busy if you do it right. So that gave us that confidence and I suppose that second little push to know that the proof of purchase was there. Someone had done it before and they'd done it well. So we knew that that spot was viable. So yeah, that, that was the, the roundabout way in which my mother's cafe, yeah, yeah, turned into mine quite by chance because I remember her driving past and going, oh my God, my old cafe has a lease sign in the window. And we went and looked at it and I just thought, oh my God, what are you thinking? So yeah. A lick of paint and a couple of Renaults, and now it looks looks much better. Yeah, I've been there, and it's, um, it's an amazing setup. It's um, it's great to see what you've done with, with the space. Yeah, it's it's a it's a space that feels open and airy again, and it is right in the middle of the CBD. So we like to use a lot of wood and a lot of green to try and make it seem like you're not in the hustle and bustle of the city. And there's a, it is, yeah. There's a lot of the clientele there, obviously being amongst the medical suites. We do get a lot of customers that aren't having such a good time, medically speaking, or they have loved ones in hospital close by. People are often looking for a bit of an escape and playing, you know, some, some calming music and having some greens and some woods and some timber kind of makes people relax a little bit, gives them a bit of peace of mind. And yeah, they, they seem to enjoy it, which is nice. Do you find that then sort of fosters a community of um, collaboration and engagement amongst those who come in? Oh, definitely. I think that's got a lot to do with the feel of the place in conjunction with the staff. There's a lot of regulars and a lot of people that work around that area and we find a lot of people come back two, three, four times a day to continue conversations with us because it is that space that kind of fosters conversation. The way that the whole place is set up isn't designed to be a grab and go in and out kind of space. It's designed so that you have to speak to one person to order, speak to another person to pick up your coffees, and the whole system of the benchtop set up facing the doorway allows people to see when see people when they come in, see people from across the road and get them coffee started. Or it's not designed to to have the machine away from people or people making the coffee with their backs to the customers. It's designed to foster that conversation and that flow, so we can have a, a full. 20-minute conversation with someone by the end of the day in five-minute intervals if they if they come and see us every three or four times a day. So that definitely fosters that more community spirit. And the more that happens, the more people want to visit you and bring their friends and do business meetings and, and use the space as more of a relaxation home office style space as opposed to, I just want to go get lunch and a coffee. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we find a lot of people want to do meetings or events and stuff in there because it's just got that kind of vibe. You talked about people, so your staff being uh, an element as well of, of that uh, community. Have you got any advice to find the right people? Yes and yes and no. I mean, that's the magic thing, isn't it? If you could always find the right people, everything would be easy. 
it's a, I guess it's a combination of gut instinct. I think as a leader and as a boss, you genuinely have to like the people you're hiring and love them the moment you meet them. I think that's a skill that a lot of leaders have when they meet staff or a prospective employee that they can read something about them instantaneously and think, yes, this is my person or no, they don't click. That's something that, that goes unspoken. There's a lot of, there's a lot of written work and there's a lot of guidelines surrounding who the right person is. You look at experience and you do your homework and I can't believe the amount of people that don't ring people's references on resumes these days. I make a, I make a real big habit of ringing every single reference on someone's resume so that I can get a really good picture of what that person's like before they've even walked in the door. And that breaks down a lot of barriers in that initial awkward back and forth conversation you have with them about the job and this is what we do. Straight away, you can break through those four layers of awkward questions by saying, this is what I found out about you. This is what I like. This is the, the foundation for the conversation we're about to have. Let's get over all the other airy-fairy crap and let's start talking about values and where you want to go, where we want to go and how we can align those to be together for two, three, four years so that at the end of four years, you've got what you want out of it and I've got what I've wanted. out of it. And that's a conversation that we have with all of our staff. We've got folders and documentation that we can pull up. We do it, try to do it every six months where we check in with them and see what do you want out of this? Are you getting fulfillment out of what we're doing here? Do you like the direction we're headed? Is your ultimate goal getting closer and more attainable? And so long as we tick all those boxes, then we generally find that I'm a very happy employer because people are turning up and doing the job willingly and they're getting satisfaction out of it because they see that they're working towards something bigger, whether it's for themselves or for us or for their family or for their future careers. A lot of them want to go and do their own businesses and our goals are to be able to build the businesses up enough so that we've got that financial stability to back them when they decide to leave. So that's kind of a mutual understanding that we have is between all of our staff is that we know that they're not going to stick around forever. If they are going to stick around forever, then we're probably not doing a great job because we want to instill that ambitious attitude where they can go and do their own thing and take what they've learned and put it into practice and make it better. So for us, finding the right people is a lot about trial and error. It's a lot about homework. It's a lot about gut instinct. And it's actually spending the time finding out who they are as a person, not what they do as a person. So a lot of places will hire a barista just because they can make beautiful coffees. But you really need to know what's this person's home life like? Why do they like coffee? Is it a... Is it an artistic thing? Do they like drawing in the coffee or do they, are they super into the flavor and the profiles of coffee? Do they, is, are they driven by you know, wanting to taste and experiment or are they driven by the creative drawing and kind of artistic expression when it hits the cup or the plate or the table? There's a lot of reasons behind why people do what they do. And if you can find out those reasons, it's much easier to hire someone as opposed to ticking off a list of skills. Do they turn up on time? Do they make coffee well? Do they dress appropriately? Do they speak with customers in a you know courteous manner? Like that's all things you can tick off a box, but it's much harder to figure out why they're doing what they're doing and why they like doing what they do. To so understand your employee, employees at a deeper level. And, and absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes they don't even know it. 
you know, but I can I can sense that I can already sense my like my manager Jess as an example. She's awesome at customer service, and you ask her why do you like talking to people and you know why are you like that, and it, it delves into a deeper sense of you know what are your values towards strangers? Do you believe that everyone is a good person fundamentally as a as a standard? Or do you, do you always, are you a bit of a cynic and think that there's always something, that nothing's ever free? There's kind of underlying values that you need to pick out from people. And she's got that ability to make friends with everyone. She's a yes person, which is really easy to harness if you know how. That comes with, you know, a side that you need to ma- you know, manage to make sure that a yes person doesn't get taken advantage of too much. Um, because there's a very fine line between being a yes man and getting walked all over. And it's a line that we tread daily because that's our job in hospitality. We've always told the customer's always right, but most of the time the customer's wrong. But that doesn't mean you can tell them they're wrong and it doesn't mean you're right either. So yeah, if you can find out why people do what they do and not why they love what they do, then it's a lot easier to keep them in the business and. And ultimately, they're going to work so much harder. And that makes development of their who they are easier in a sense because you know where they're going and where they want to go. So then you can put them into situations and, and train them in an area they want to move into. Mm, absolutely. It um, also mutually benefits you as a as a uh, business owner. Yeah, absolutely. You really need to know what they want out of it. Physically, you know, what they physically want at the end of the journey also what emotional fulfillment they're after. And do you find that changes, say you catch up every six months, does that, mm. just what the employee want, does that change? To some extent, most of the time the long-term stuff remains the same. The short-term stuff does change from time to time. Our, our chef Andy started with us and his ultimate goal, he's a bit of a Picasso, so, so long as we keep putting blank plates in front of him he just wants to create art man you want to create art I'm a creator I'm an artist you know and here the first goals for him were just be creative not be limited by menu costings do two specials every week keep the creative juices flowing and that's since changed to more of a a family orientated perspective where his short-term goals are train new staff and keep people with us and open a second location for us and really get involved in the costings and inner financials of the business so that he can understand how we make money so that he can go do his own thing. So he's turned from more of a, I want to turn up, make food, leave kind of guy into more of a, I really want to get involved with the staff training and train an apprentice chef and be part of his development and source the ingredients from produce and suppliers and have that more interpersonal connection. So to some extent, yeah, the short-term stuff does. Um, the long-term stuff obviously is long-term because that's the dream that everyone has. And it's much easier to change the short-term stuff than it is the long-term stuff, but it's always fluid. It, it depends on the day. It depends on the week that they're having as to what they want to get out of it. Um, if it's been an awesome week, it's much easier to motivate people and find out what they loved about the week. When it hasn't been such a good week, that's when you really find out why they're here and what they got out of it. And I guess both are valuable in terms of what Absolutely. they love and what they hate in a sense. So Absolutely. they calibrate. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, that's that's the equation that our, my brain goes through anyway when, when we're talking about keeping and, and finding and keeping good people. 
you really do have to understand at a very deep level what it is they want and how you can help them to help you because it's the skills that help you as a business owner but it's understanding what they want on an emotional level that will help them and keep them so. and motivate them through the top absolutely a lot of people think a lot of people say as long as they show up on time and do what I tell them to do that makes them a good employee and to some extent that's true but you're not going to hold on to them for very long before they either get bored tired want to do their own thing or they lose motivation because they're not in touch with your values and they get frustrated in it, from experience anyway that's just something that I see happen all too often how do you see um, technology changing the, mm. the hospitality industry? I mean, we can... Oh, shit loads. <laughs> it's always constantly evolving. You know, four or five years ago, we didn't have online ordering, and now look at that. So look at all of the Uber Eats and Deliveroo apps going nuts and the bottles and the, the skip the queue apps that we've got now. The ability to take orders and remember people's orders. Yeah, it's, it's coming leaps and bounds. Even in a coffee sense, the amount of automation that's going on in the coffee scene right now is a little bit overwhelming. And I think there's a lot of old school coffee guys that resisting the urge to go automated in terms of making coffee. There's a lot of equipment out there now that is designed to reduce the amount of variance in the coffee making process, even on a roasting level. There's a lot of software that will help you with getting that consistent roast once you know what you're doing and you can plug in the data. But I think there's an essence of craftsmanship to coffee that isn't lost on a lot of the, the old school coffee makers. I think that kind of passion where people say, I want to master my craft and have it be a manual process and know and look and smell, and that kind of connection is something that people find enjoyment out of still. So the technology is moving incredibly quickly and we utilize it to some extent. In a hospitality industry, it's very hard because every encounter is always different, even if it's with the same person. So figuring out what that person wants with technology is not always the easiest. So you can only, you can only standardize it to a certain point. Absolutely. Even person to person. You know, if I could work out what every individual coming through the door is, then I'd be able to make exactly what they want. But that changes day to day. So yeah, being able to, to specify and individualize a product is super important. And we can make one type of coffee and it could please the majority of people, but everyone that comes in can try and go, oh, I want this one, oh, I'm gonna make a strong brew. This, oh, oh, it's not quite strong enough for me. And it's just our standard. Uh, Sam, a final question for the, uh, the podcast. What's your definition of the grind? The grind. Ooh, everyone's going to have a different one. Um, for me, the grind, in, if you want to break it down into the word grind, for me, to grind something is to break it down bit by bit, piece by piece. And I think that, for me, is the definition of the grind, is to take what we're doing and break it down so that it's clearly legible, clearly visible. You want to take all those little bits that add together to make this whole company an individual what we've actually built as an ecosystem and break that down and keep breaking it down. So we break it down into businesses, we break it down into departments, we break it down into actual individuals, then we break it down into those individuals' values and traits 
And I think for us, the grind is taking that as a whole, taking little bits apart and figuring out how we're going to put this back together to make it bigger than it was before we broke it down. It's not so much, it's more of a metaphor really, but yeah, that grind for me is literally crushing things up and exploring what's actually inside. And then putting it together. And then putting it back together again better. Yeah. And constantly doing that. Back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. We should see how many beans we grind a day. (laughs) (laughs) And it gets put back together again in a cup. Great definition. Ah, it's a weird one. Yeah. It's what I'm going to live in. Uh, Sam, look, thanks so much again for for taking time out of your busy day. Uh, The New Black's launching their um, Pitch Black Evenings tonight. Um, so yes. all the best with that. Thank you very much. As a coffee addict, it's good to break into the wine scene as well because that's the other drug we live off. I feel like it's coffee before 5 p.m. and wine after 5 p.m. So you got to do both. And if you do what they say, do what you love, right? Mm-hmm. So you sure. kind of go hand in hand. So yeah, hopefully it's going to be a good night. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.